You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 19. Okay, with me today we have two very special guests. We have Ray Vada and Corey Lubowicz, the founders of Tasty Penguin Games and the creators of Detective Bullshit. Ray and Corey, welcome to Your Tables on Fire. Hey. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, let's start with some introductions. What can you tell us about yourselves? Corey, do you want to go first? Uh, sure thing. I am a writer-director, so come from a storytelling background, a film YouTube background. So I, I do a lot of video and sketch comedy and storytelling stuff on YouTube. And I am a writer, but more from the journalism side. I work for a site called The Daily Dot and cover um, internet culture, YouTubers, that sort of world. I've kind of come from a social media and journalism background. And so also storytelling, just a different angle on it. So you're both writers. And yet here we are talking about a game you've made. Yeah. So how does that line up? I think for us, it was that we like storytelling and this game allows people to be storytellers. So mm. I, it, I think it just kind of came from our creative side and just kind of talking about how much we love gaming and how many games we love and then games we wanted to see in the world that would kind of suit us. Yeah, it was a sort of idea of like, oh, I wish this kind of game existed. And we're like, wait a second, we can make that kind of game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, let's talk about your guys' history with gaming. You know, how long have you guys been gaming? What got you into the hobby? I will say that I've had kind of a spotty, long history with it. Definitely was the kind of person who has gamed since, like, high school, on and off in different capacities, from RPG and video game as well, and kind of always kind of followed along with it, but never felt like I was a huge part of the community until maybe the last year I felt more connected and more like that's what I want to be doing with a lot of my free time is having a game night and trying out new and inventive things and spending six hours with friends setting something up and, and coming to this great conclusion together. Corey how about you? Yeah I think it's definitely described myself as more just sort of casual gamer up until the last like two years or so and partially that's circle of friends here uh, since I moved to Los Angeles which sort of overlaps with race mm -hmm. friend circle, but like sort of doesn't either. This sounds and like we're not friends, Corey. It sounds like we're like, I don't know, I like know. that person <laughs> maybe someone I would game with. <laughs> yeah, like I maybe met her once. Yeah. I think that's a huge catalyst because there are so many games out there and you, it's almost sometimes you like need a Sherpa to be like, no, 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 come look at these games. These are yeah. ones you'll like. Yeah. Yeah, and so like a little further back, I think it in a lot of ways was spurred by like, Cards Against Humanity and that sort of thing. We're like, oh, yeah, there are games out there that are not Monopoly or like, sorry. <laughs> and I think, honestly, it wasn't until after college when I started like having time to like play games again. And that like around when Cards Against Humanity came out and I was like, oh, cool. There are all these other games. And so I think that that's sort of my history with games. Let's dig back into the memories of your mind and tell us about maybe a really terrible experience playing a game when you were young. I was thinking of one recently. I was like, oh, I can tell you what happened recently. <laughs> That's fine, too. No, I want, to, I want to think of a good young one. Um, 
Ooh, or if you have ones before uh, me, go ahead. I know my recent ooh, one. I'll save it for after. <laughs> I remember like not wanting to play Monopoly because I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> wait, Corey, don't you have an aunt who's amazing at Boggle and like ruined Boggle for all of your family Boggle times? <laughs> it is true. My aunt is like amazing at Boggle, and that was like a thing that we would play at like family gatherings. The thing is, she's also the nicest woman in the world. Like. So she's like a a little bit like mousy and like the nicest nicest person so she's always like super embarrassed and like sorry when she annihilates all of us in boggle <laughs> um it was still fun but it was always like well Aunt renee's gonna win it doesn't matter but now Corey will beat you in boggle like if you play boggle with Corey, he sweeps the floor because you had such good competition and it's so frustrating it's true. Now. And it's true. And now as an adult, I was like, oh, wait, this game is fun. <laughs> <laughs> we really like winning. We really like winning. That's another thing. We love to win. My old one, it's the only thing I can think of is that this is like dragging my poor brother, but he used to play a lot with me and he, I had like those very like girly games back in middle school or like pre-middle school. And it was a um, uh, dream date, the phone one. And yes. my brother was so good at that game. And I was always so mad. <laughs> my brother Dave could beat me all the time. And he was good at that and Mall Madness, which that makes sense because he's a great chopper now. Um, but, like, <laughs> he was really good at my, like, girl games. And I wanted to play with him all the time. So, But he'd always, like, beat me and do better. And I would get so mad that he would, like, come and use my games but then do better at, like, finding the boyfriend than I did. Um <laughs> my young frustration with gaming <laughs> i will say my probably biggest frustration as a child is the fact that my parents wouldn't buy me mousetrap oh. oh but then i finally did play it once at a friend's house and went oh okay <laughs> <laughs> but for a long time i was like oh i just want it looks so fun in the commercial <laughs> that that is the kind of game that's better on paper Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, well, because you you just want to set up the trap and like make the Rube Goldberg happen. Yeah. Um, the actual game is like, eh, okay. Yeah, because once you've done it, then it's like, well, that's it. Yeah. I caught the mouse. <laughs> I did it. The mouse is mine. <laughs> Hooray! Um, do you guys want to hear my recent frustration? Definitely. My friends are very into like a lot of uh, big setup games, so like Arkham Horror, which I like, except that I showed up a little late to a game night once, not realizing what game we were playing and how long it was going to take. So I got there and they'd already started and they just wouldn't let me play. <laughs> so I waited two hours basically. And I enjoyed watching, but I wanted to play the game. So I was like two hours watching them play this game. And I was just kind of being like, well, should I leave or should I stay? I guess I'll just stay. And then finally they're like, we'll deal you in. They dealt me in. I unleashed the horror immediately upon being part of the game. So they all hated me. So then I was like the worst person that has ever happened. But I would like to note that I defeated the horror. So... In the end, I won wow. the game for them. But it was like the worst experience in a way because I was just like, I got had to sit here for two hours. Then everyone hated me because I screwed it up. <laughs> but then I got to triumph. So I was happy in the end. And were they like, hey, good job, Ray? Or like, oh, oh you jerk. In the end, when I, when I won, they were like, good job. And it was very stressful. But like, you know, uh, right when I got in, they were like, oh. And I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't know that was going to happen. And like, you should have let me come in hours ago. And this probably wouldn't have happened then. <laughs> like. <laughs> this is really your fault, not mine. Uh, that's pretty good. So, in your guys' opinion, what makes a really good game? You know, it depends on my mood. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I think well-balanced is, like, the biggest thing. There's nothing more frustrating than a game that 
feels like, oh, I have no chance of winning because, like, this is my first time playing it. Yeah. Like, that's truly, truly, like, the worst feeling in the world of, like, I don't understand what's going on. And because of that, like, oh, you have a, an upper hand in winning. We really like winning. <laughs> You're going to bring that up a really times. <laughs> We're going to sound like jerks. Um, my thing, I think, that the defining factor is you come away knowing your friends better, knowing your family better, having played the game. Like, I really like games that illuminate community or connection or illuminate, like, you learn a joke that you have now with these friends or you learn a trait maybe that you didn't really realize about your friend or a skill they maybe had that you didn't know. So you talked a little bit about sitting down and discussing games that should exist but don't. Is that where game design started for the both of you? Yeah, I mean, our joking, it's on our website. Like the true story of how we started really designing was we were going out for donuts and we're talking about a game we wanted, just kind of mentioning, wouldn't it be cool if there was a board game that was X? And we started talking about that. And then I think we had two more ideas come up just talking about from the one idea. And as we're sitting there eating and just talking about this, we kind of looked at each other like, did we just start a company? Did we just decide that we're going to make these three games? Because <laughs> there were three things that we didn't see out there and realized if there's three things, there's way more than that. And we should make at least one of them, if not all three of those ideas. I think this is the first like tabletop game that either of us has designed or created. But I've done a little game design sort of in a different sense in terms of like escape rooms and like puzzle type things. In the last two years, I've also like been super into those. And so for a convention, I designed like an escape room, like puzzle experience. And I've done some other stuff more like online of like puzzles and like code cracking, that sort of stuff. So different kind of like game design, but still very like narratively based. Mm hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about the name Tasty Penguin, and why don't you tell us about Cooking Toy Penguins? Yeah, that's Ray's yes, fault. That's all me. It's poor Corey got saddled <laughs> with this name, and I'm sure like maybe he's going to hate me for it for years, uh, but, but I've had this phrase in my life since I was a child, so when I was four or five, very young, I went to the zoo, like the aquarium zoo, and we walked up to the penguin enclosure they're all waddling around and my parents are telling me, oh, look at the cute little penguins, right? And all I say to my parents is, mmm, tasty penguin. And they're like, no, 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 they're not food. And I was like, no, tasty penguin. Like, that's what I, I looked at them and I thought that looks delicious. I want to eat that. It looks like food to me. And these are like live penguins looking adorable. And I guess my parents think they've like, you know, whatever, they move me on. I go to the gift shop. I pick out a toy penguin and they're thinking, oh, that's cute. And so they buy it for me. And when I bring it home, they come find me in my bedroom playing with like the kitchen set. And I have put the penguin in the oven. And I <laughs> open it up and I go, mm, tasty penguin. Like I thought that toy was for me to also cook. And so my parents just kind of never let me live down my like weird childhood thing about thinking penguins were delicious and wanting to eat them. You can eat penguins. I did learn they are edible, like, and they don't taste the worst, but I would never want to do it. <laughs> so you've not tried I've had puffin. That's the closest thing I've ever had to penguin. And it kind of tastes like like smoked salmon in a weird way, which is very strange for a bird, I know. But yeah, but yeah, it was always just like this weird phrase that I'd always loved. And I always wanted to do something with it, like some sort of company. And I was like, we should call it this. And then it, that's just stuck. We never, we never really like workshopped another name. Names are hard and I was tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like, did whatever. all a bunch of names. I mean, like, Detective Bullshit was named in that first time. We just were talking, and that was the name of the game, and that was it. 
Really? So you didn't even kick around names for the game either? Just like that no, was the name? we were like so into that name. Although now as we're learning when people have like had to censor it, we didn't really think it through in terms of like, oh, that is technically a bad word. Um, <laughs> I'm like, really want to call it Detective Flim Flam now. I've been looking up like synonyms for bullshit. Like what else can we call it? And I'm really into Detective Flim Flam for our like child's version of the game someday. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've been struggling. Am I going to beep out the name of the game every time I say it on this show? I haven't decided yet. But We could be saying anything then. We're just going to call it Detective Whatever, and you can just beep it out every time. That's right. <laughs> and no one will know. No one will know what the name is. Though, Ray, I can't remember. Like, did, did it start as the other way around at I one point? I think technically the first thing we said was bullshit detective. But I think within that first day, we flipped it. I think we had flipped it, yeah. But that was the original concept was you're a bullshit detective. So then we're like, oh, wait, that could be your title. Not not just like the concept. Yeah. Let's take a step back now that we're, we're deep into detective bullshit. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with the game, give us the quick description. Corey, I'm going to let you do this. Okay. Um, so it's a competitive storytelling game and it's... We've just been describing it a little bit like Clue meets Cards Against Humanity. Like Clue, there's like a murder, but like Cards Against Humanity, you have sort of crazy cards and it's about justifying and talking things out with your friends. At least that's how our friends play Cards Against Humanity, and I've found out that not everyone plays that way, which I think was the impetus for the game, that like, that is what the part we did like about Cards Against Humanity. That's sort of like, no, 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 this, this absurd thing, this is why my cards should win. So yeah, one person for a case is the chief bullshit, and they draw a card that's a person of interest, and that's the victim, and so then chief bullshit gets to decide what the crime is and where it happened. And then the other players get to play suspects, and so they have 90 seconds each to justify to the detective why their suspect has committed the crime. So that's the first round, and then the second round... Um, everyone gets dealt evidence, and they have to incorporate evidence into their story. And then in the third round, you've got some due process complications. So there might be, like, latent discovery and extra evidence is found, or, like, your evidence is inadmissible, so it gets replaced with something else. So something to, like, change up your story, and then at the end of the round, detective bullsh** decides who has solved the case. There's no right answer, it's it's all made up. And yeah, and that's sort of, that's sort of how the game works. Yeah, and due process has a dice roll, so that's also kind of fun because it really does mess with people. Like, it's not just easy draw, and it's not to cheap people's uh, discretion. It is like, if the dice doesn't work for you, you're going to have a real problem now. Take us back to the donut shop. Mm-hmm. What was the original idea? What was the first... Were we just talking about the idea of, like, storytelling and lying games and decided that crime would be an interesting application? I think so. I, I think we were, we're high talking... on sugar at the time. We were very like, yeah, yeah six donuts <laughs> in, so God knows. But <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't the first game we talked about for sure, it was the second or third. Yeah, but I do feel like this current form of it settled pretty quickly. Yeah, but I do think it came out of talking about like a like hidden role game. Yeah, I think because we've been playing a lot of Werewolf at that point in time. Yeah. One Night Ultimate Werewolf. And so I think that's where it came from. But then we're like, oh, wait a second. Having the cards be the thing and Cards Against Humanity type round seems to fit that better. I think the other thing we were thinking about design-wise was like the way that our cards are structured, if you aren't very good or you're scared about storytelling or making stuff up, there's something on the card that is still a joke and 
It gives you something to respond to, to chief bullshit if they ask you a question. It gives you something. It doesn't give you a story, but it does give you more of a prompt. And it's not just a name of a person or it's not just a trope like a policeman. It actually is like a name of a character and a two-line description, basically, of that person's characteristic that's kind of quirky and weird. So I think that was also an early design thing that we didn't want to make a game where the cards were names of famous people or, you know, it's not that. It's not like a like pure improv game. Like you're yeah. you're making it up, but there, there's by the time it's your turn to do that, there's already a, a little bit of a framework for you to sort of like color within the lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you have each other to kind of work off. So somebody already has established that this town is a town of mice, which is there's a card that has to do with the town of mice we've seen played in playtests a lot. Um, <laughs> you kind of know, okay, okay. So I've got to fit my person into like I've got some information. There is a town of mice. So what would that mean for these people? And in some ways, like as the case progresses and thing, you get more evidence and things get more complicated, you start having to do like backbends to get it to justify and make sense. But also in some ways, the options in which you, the ways you can do that become more limited and it becomes more obvious because like, oh wait, this is the world. These are the people. Like, obviously it has to be this way. Yeah. It's really great when people start throwing out obviously when they get to their turn. Well, obviously <laughs> this is what happened. Your game has a number of different game elements that are maybe a little more meaty than what you have in Card Against Humanity. Like you have the different rounds you mm-hmm. mentioned and different things happen in different rounds. And then you have tokens, which you can use to bribe yes. Captain Bullshit. Talk about those elements a little bit more. Um, I think that's one of the things we didn't like about Cards Against Humanity is that it has a passive nature to it as well. You kind of can throw away a card. You can kind of not care about a round you can kind of not be paying attention and just throw something down and it isn't as engaging, especially after you've played it a couple of times or you're not having a good night or whatever. There's a great board game cafe near us called Game House. And I was there with some friends playing a game and over at the next table, there were some folks playing Cards Against Humanity and our friends are sort of a boisterous bunch. And so there was always like trying to make it active and like justifying the cards and watching other people play it and the way they play it, where it was like, they just like laid the cards out, they'd read them out, haha, like this is vulgar. And that's sort of funny the way it fits in that joke. And they would just go, okay, that one. And like the round was over and I'm like, oh, I mean, they, they were having a good time, but I was like, that seems like less fun. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, as we like describe this or market it to people, it's funny because either you can take away that we love Cards Against Humanity or that we hate Cards Against Humanity. Like, do you love Cards Against Humanity? You'll love our game. Do you hate Cards Against Humanity? You'll also love our game. Like, I feel like we've covered it on both spectrums because of the design. And it depends on the person. Yes, also true. And I think the humor in the game also comes out of the storytelling in our game, there are jokes written onto the cards. Like, all the evidence cards are, like, weird, absurd things. And the characters are, like, you know, zany characters. And so there are jokes involved there. But, like, the real humor and comedy comes from the actual storytelling. But it also doesn't require you to, like, be funny and make jokes. That, like, honestly, the richest experiences, the best stories, the, like, the funniest parts are when you take it super seriously and you're just trying to work in, like, really weird evidence into your story. So you guys have been on Kickstarter for, what, about a week now? About a week, yeah. Yeah. How are things going? Corey, what do you think? <laughs> I think they're going well. Yeah, I think we're doing really well. We're about, what, over, we're over a third of the way there. Over a third. We're getting close to 40% of the way, I believe. So that's like a nice little milestone coming. Yeah. 
that's been a learning lesson too. Like Corey's done Kickstarters before. I've never done Kickstarter before, but Corey's done them in different a different space. So it's also been just like interesting to watch how people support and where the sport's coming from. It's been I am the stressed one. Corey's the calm one too. Like I'm the one who's like <laughs> neurotic and like obsessive about it, and Corey's the one who's like we're doing great. You know, like everything's good and we're like moving in the right direction. We're doing great. Stop. Stop obsessing about it. But that's um, me. It that's becomes. <laughs> no, no. And it totally makes sense. And it's just, that's the beautiful and terrible thing about this internet world of metrics we live in is that there's a lot to fixate on. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's going well. And l- unlike the other projects I've done, we, we there have been a lot of backers that have come in on Kickstarter that seem to be like serial game backers on Kickstarter. People that like, who we don't know, who I don't know, yeah. like from other projects who have just like found it through the discover tab we were like featured projects uh last week on kickstarter so people who just came in it's like oh cool you're you don't know me at all but you're interested in this that's really cool yeah that's been really nice because we're just both used to i think the concept of like our family and friends and Corey's like got supporters from his theater stuff and it's like okay those people are gonna like come and that's gonna be great but like what's the rest of the world gonna think about this and that's the scary part and it's felt pretty welcoming and pretty like exciting to see those people coming in and taking a chance on us and saying yes i want i want this game too mm-hmm. well, what are your promotion strategies what have you done so far what do you have planned for the future i have a, a meeting about that after this but um, <laughs> 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 um i've done a lot of so i've done social media in the past so i've been kind of managing just the organic social stuff and figuring out kind of what our little presence is like, who we're interacting with. I've been having fun kind of looking for people talking about Cards Against Humanity and then just like sending them our link, being like, hey, you played Cards Against Humanity last night. You might like our game, which is just like an old style strategy I used to do when I was like working for television networks. And I'd be like, you're watching this show? Are you like this music artist? Well, you'd love my music too. And so that's been my like fun. I've done a lot of stuff where I've sent stuff to uh, different publications. I'm a reporter so I know some people who are also reporters at other places and friends of friends that are writers and sort of this geeky realm it's interesting because I'm used to dealing with things that are a little bit more like music or like general pop culture so it's like oh that I guess that site doesn't really write about tabletop games so it maybe not is not a great fit for them though it is expanding right I mean more and more if they, they don't write about it now they should <laughs> like yeah we're, we're getting to the point where like I don't think we've reached it yet but like we're getting to that tipping point where like average joe is starting to be like oh there's a whole world of games out there and it's not just like a geeky nerdy pursuit of like complicated role-playing games i mean the more people you just talk to about games you realize how many people do play these games and maybe aren't on the websites for them or aren't in message boards about them but really do like having game nights and playing with their significant others or whatever there's a wide set out there I said the other thing about kickstarter that i didn't really because i had not experience and then this has just been happening is the promoting companies that come to you and flood your inbox uh, with all these promises the about how they're going to get you this, that, and the other. And like, I come from a PR and social media background too. So I'm like, I get you. I understand what your game is, but like, no, I just, I can't let myself be involved in that kind of stuff. Like that's not where I would want to go. I wouldn't want to fund a game that I also had to pay hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars to get someone to get me the money. I'm not into that. The worst is, are the ones that are like, your thing is great, but, like, you might not be successful unless you do this, so, like, hire me. And I was like, ugh, it just makes me feel gross. Yeah. Yeah. So after Detective Bullshit is out and about and people are having a riot playing it, what's next for you guys? You guys have 
it sounds like two more games that are oh, just on the cusp of sadly, ready to go. more than two. <laughs> like we've continually <laughs> on day one of our Kickstarter, I was calling Corey because I was in New York. He's in LA. And I called him to talk about the Kickstarter and he is, wouldn't stop talking about another game that we've been talking about. And I was like, Corey, we are not 24 hours into this Kickstarter. You cannot start talking to me about like game design for a, g- a different game right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> So we have too many things in our heads, basically. So what advice would you have for someone who is thinking about putting a game together, thinking about launching a Kickstarter? What would you say to them? Hmm. Do a lot of research. I think that's like number yeah. one is like no your audience know the demo know what it really takes i will definitely say that like we started out being like oh this will be like a couple thousand dollars to make a game you know because the game also seemed a little bit simpler when we started don't go in assuming you know what it costs to make a game and what it costs to ship a game like you need to go and have shipping yeah, shipping, shipping is the scariest thing and definitely the thing that people like want to be like why does shipping cost so much and we're like because shipping costs so much we didn't like set that price like that's not our choice right. yeah. um Things like and that. That's a, that's a super hard thing because, like, I don't know, we're all used to Amazon Prime. Like, oh, cool. Like, Amazon's going to pay for the shipping. It's like, no, that's not how it works. No, you're paying for it in other ways. I promise. So, yeah, doing that kind of research, like going into it really knowing for games what it's going to cost you to produce it, get it to you, and get it to your consumer because that really yeah. helps you understand what you need and what, what's feasible in terms of the game you want to make. I mean, like, making a good game and, like, making a good Kickstarter are sort of two completely separate parallel tracks. Yeah. But I think I think you're spot on in terms of making a Kickstarter. There are a lot of them out there, either. There's a lot of information out there. People have written about their experiences. There, You know, you can look at past games, successful games. You can look at what's funding now. There's a lot of information, and it's worth, like, diving into, and then at a certain point going and forgetting about it. Yeah. I think that's where Ray struggles. That is where I struggle. And I'm an obsessive kind of person. I want to know everything about, if I love a topic, I want to like know everything about it. And it's, you know, if I'm excited about something, I have to read like 75 blogs on it. And Corey's really good at reminding me to forget about it because you also can't compare yourself to everyone else. You can't go, oh, this game made a million dollars. So if I don't make a million dollars, I'm a failure or whatever, this funded day one and whatever. Like you have to think about you. Well, and like remembering that like, correlation doesn't equal causation it's like oh they did this and they were funded a million dollars in day one so we should do that it's like "Mm, maybe well actually here's a great example because i so i work in the youtube space and i was at a new front which is like the advertising events for youtube companies and studio 71 which is a youtube company works with cyanide and happiness which i didn't actually even really realize and they did a case study about how they funded that game and how they did so well and i as an outsider had looked at it, just thought it was the sign of happiness guys doing it on their own, like not with a whole marketing team behind them, not with a huge multinational company behind them. And that was very eye-opening to me to go, oh, you don't always know what's behind a Kickstarter or how much manpower or marketing dollars might be behind some of these ones that look homespun because they're on Kickstarter or look, you assume. But like are super successful. And maybe did super well. And they have great content, but it's also not a function of like, sometimes when you have 25 people with a marketing budget to spend on Facebook every single day, you can invest that kind of money and make those returns. And if you don't know that going into it, you get obsessed about the idea that like, I didn't do it like they did it. It's like, well, because I don't have 75 people and a guy in Berlin for me doing it, you know, like I just me. It's just us. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have to realize that like, it can be stressful, but it like, it's a game. It should, at the end of yeah. the day, we should all be having fun. Yes. 
it should feel happy and rewarding. If you get to a Kickstarter and you're so stressed out you can't enjoy it, that's also like a bad sign. You're not doing it for the right reasons or you're not really like in the right space to be doing it. You're like fixated on like things that you maybe can't control. That's where I go crazy. And there's a lot you can't control. Yeah. I feel like I can't tell if we're telling people they should do Kickstarters or not. I don't know if we're like giving like... (laughs) Our advice sounds like maybe not. You guys we are, are so very conflicted. conflicted. We don't know. We love it. You know, do you like cards against money? Do you not? Do you like Kickstarter? <laughs> we're very, we're very complex people. Tell. That's, I think, maybe the, the thing about it. Um, and it's actually, I would say. Do you like penguins? I do love penguins. <laughs> I will say I love them. Um, I will say another thing is like, it's very hard. I would be terrified and in a bad place and probably not even be here if I didn't have, like, going it alone is very hard. And I think that if you're creative and you have other stakeholders in your life, it's good to like have a, a team, even a small team, even just a partnership when you're doing a project like this, because having two b- brains behind it just helps having someone to bounce ideas off of is really helpful. I mean, you can go it alone and that's fine. But even just even as long as you have a super trusted friend that is going to be like your sounding board during this process, because you're going to think you're right because everyone thinks they're right. And Maybe you're not, and you need to hear that from somebody else, or you need to hear another point of view on how something should be done. Then only one of you is allowed to freak out at a time. Exactly. So the other person has to be calm, and that's perfect, because if you're just sitting there freaking out, you're not going to have any fun. Good advice. Well, Corey and Ray, I have to confess that this whole podcast thing is just a bunch of bull****. (laughs) (laughs) The reality of it is... I bring game designers from Kickstarter onto the show to play a very special game, which is the game design challenge. Okay. So here's how this works. I'm going to pick a random game theme and I'm going to give it to you. And then the two of you discuss it, chew it over a little bit, preferably out loud since this is a podcast. (laughs) And then pitch back to me what that game would be. Oh, great. Okay. You guys up for that? We're ready. Okay, very good. So here comes a theme. And your theme is going to be waiting in line at the unemployment office. Okay. Okay. It's a game about waiting in line at the unemployment office. Yes. Hmm. All right. So you're sort of desperate at the unemployment office. Like you're in a bad place. Like, I feel like if you're unemployed, you're a little stressed out and yeah. you're kind of trying to figure out what the next choice is for you. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's some sort of like board game. Yeah, I feel like there's a board, which we really want to design board games next at some point. Like boards are on our, on our oh, future. But, but man, they're but expensive. And they're expensive. Yeah. Okay, so when you're in the un- unemployment, your goal is to ultimately be employed, but like you're there specifically to like get an un- unemployment check. So I, I have been unemployed, so I actually have been to the unemployment okay. office, so I will give some like personal background on that one. Okay. Um, when I had been there, um, it's usually to actually have a meeting, usually at the unemployment office, mm-hmm. you're there to like okay. meet with a counselor to mm-hmm. help work on your resume. So maybe it's a game that has to do with like how to get yourself back to employed. This is like a very downer game, I yeah. have to say. Like I'm already depressed. No, I, I'm so like... If it's some sort of board or something where you're cycling through and you're going through the motions, but ultimately you want to break out of this like cycle, like you you win when you break out of the cycle. Yeah. So being employed would be the end goal, but maybe the steps along this path have to be like, you have to get through the waiting room and then you have to get through like resume preparation. (laughs) 
Oh God, are there like dice rolls to like how good your resume is? Probably. <laughs> and you finally get to the counselor, but then like nothing might come of it. You might just have to like start oh, the process over start again. Up. Oh, you have to go home yeah, and just, wait for a call. You just keep going. Yeah. You have to send out a certain number of resumes for sure. Maybe you're collecting cards uh, that are like like job leads cards. And then you can like mm-hmm. roll on them to see if you actually get an interview for that job. But like only after you get it to the counselor's office, you have to like make it to the counselor's office and you're collecting like job leads along the way. And then there you can like finally try to get an interview for a job. Right. And so you're rolling a die on it and like each card maybe has what is like threshold for the interview. And then after you get the interview, maybe you have mm-hmm. to roll to see how well you do. Mm-hmm. But then maybe is there something to do with like the job's skill level too? Like I remember when I was doing it, they'd like show me a job that like was way too low qualified for me. But it's like, well... You could maybe like escape with a job, but you're maybe you're waiting for the, because you have to play against other people. Maybe it's like, you have to gamble on, do I take a lower paying job when I leave and hope that no one else gets out? Or like, Mm -hmm. is it the winner (laughs) is the one with the best job out of this whole unemployment office? Part of me feels like you win if you get out. But like, if you're competitive like us, you'll probably compare jobs. Yeah. (laughs) But then there's no incentive to like try for like a better job. Exactly. Like maybe you wait and try and it's harder to get them. Maybe it's like life where like you wait for everyone to finish and just whoever has the most money at the end. But like, I don't want to measure like happiness and like success in dollars. That's true. If you like, you get an interview or, and don't get the job or fail the internet, you like start back at the beginning, but like you get an unemployment check. So you get money. We're missing a key element or we completely overlooked something, which I'm just realizing now everyone needs to start also with like a character card of themselves that has like characteristics and also like a thing that you have to match to. So if you're like an artist, you're trying to get an artist job, not any job. So you could be pulling these jobs and maybe you could technically do them, but it'd be harder for you to get them. So you have to, that is true with unemployment. You have to be like getting a job within your industry. Right. So you have to have these like industries and I don't know if I'd let the person pick their own industry or no, 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 it would have to be random. No, 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 no. <laughs> Corey, that's, that's very Corey's design. <laughs> of course not. No, 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 of course not. Why would you ever think that? And then the other thing is, like, after you've, like, gone through the whole thing and not gotten a job and you start back at the beginning of, like, the unemployment line, that you've got some money now to, to either, like, spend money on, like, a fancier resume or, like, get additional skills. That's true. Yeah, you can kind of Like, you could take, like, a night class. Yeah. Oh, that could be, like, its own little path. Take the night class. Why is there new? Now we have another game we're going to have to. <laughs> Government assistance. That's what it's called. Oh, God. There you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that sounds depressing. <laughs> it's so depressing. We can't make a game called Government Assistance. Like, the really sad part is when you like, get into the food stamps line at the end of it, like, you really lose and you like, um, oh, sure. no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think unemployment, a depressing board game for the modern age or something like that. Like, <laughs> it's almost like just like a really sad really direct name i like it i think that's what it is unemployment a depressing yeah. board game <laughs> <laughs> very very appropriate oh man do we need to like more solidly pitch that to you or do you feel like you, you've been pitched no that's it you got it you guys nailed it that you you, it. you have captured the essence of that miserable moment in your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was no fun. I'll tell you that much. New York City unemployment. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ray and Corey, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. 
thank you so much for having us. It was really, really fun. Yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah, I'm glad we could connect. And best of luck to the two of you with the rest of your campaign. Thank you. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, that was Ray Vada and Corey Lubowicz, the founder of Tasty Penguin Games and the creators of Detective Flim Flam? The only way you'll know is if you check out their Kickstarter project. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Follow us on Twitter at TableFire. Also, visit our website for show notes and a direct link to Tasty Penguin's game, www.yourtablesonfire.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course, Board Game Geek. Head over to any of those websites and give us a review. We really want to hear from you. Well, until next time, go light it up. <laughs>